0: Welcome to our monthly book chat. I'm Cheryl Arkell. And I'm Caroline Overington. And I love
1: nothing more than having a chat about books. And so does Cheryl. So we thought we would share that conversation with
0: you. Once a month, we'll discuss book and industry news, authors, and the books you should be reading, and maybe just a little bit of gossip. Book uh, Book chat with Caroline Overington.
1: Hi, Caroline. Hello. I'm sitting sideways on your guest chair because I have a bit of sciatica. Oh, it's terrible. I I know, but I reckon a lot of your listeners will be familiar with that shooting pain down one leg and then the numbness in the toes. Oh. And I can't feel one side of my bum.
0: Oh, that's not good. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) going to ask you how you got it. (laughs) Am I? No. Well, I think it can come about for a range of reasons. A range of reasons. Did I tell you I'm back in the
1: pool this week? I saw a photograph (laughs) of you on Instagram getting into the pool. And I know i'm gonna cry again now because i know how much you love it and how important it is for you to be out and about and in the water and a long convalescence really you've had and to get back in must have been amazing it was so
0: emotional i mean i don't think i've ever cried and sw- and swam before but i did i cried and swam i was so happy 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 tears and were you waiting for a doctor to give you the okay yeah because i'd had you know, I'd had the surgery, so and were there stitches or were they dissolving stitches? Dissolving stitches, so but you they have don't to want you to get infection. Yeah, right. so I've it's been twelve weeks since right. I got into the pool from right. being unwell to post surgery, blah blah blah. But can I tell you this is completely not related to books, but just related to people where I swim? There's what I thought was a diving pool but it turns out to be a water polo pool. Okay. Now, I thought it was a diving pool and it was really deep and I just wanted, I've been wanting forever to jump in and touch, touch the bottom. I just did. I, you know, <laughs> anyway. I sense catastrophe on the yeah. horizon here, yeah, Cheryl. Yeah, yeah. And so they don't have it open because they, they can't man it, they can't have a, a lifesaver there all of the time. But when I was there the other day, there was a group in there doing some kind of water aerobics and my friend Michelle said to me, well, do you know, this is a good time to trial it, when they're coming out, you jump in and you just pretend you're one of the water aerobics people and you're coming out. Do you know, (laughs) I walked down the stairs really slowly because I was cautious about how deep it was and maybe seven people shouted at me and told me to get out. Why? I was so sad. Why did they tell you to do that? There's like, you weren't in this class, get out, get out. And I just thought, That is so mean. Is this a public pool? Yeah, yeah, Asheville pool. So mean. And I said to one of the ladies, I just want to have a go. I just want to have a go because it will close after this session. Well, no, you can't do that. You cannot get in here. Anyways. Goodness (laughs) gracious. terrible. And they were singing out, like, not very nice things to me. And I thought, what happens to people? You know, I broke the tiniest little rule of getting into a pool. Anyway, I dropped my goggles, right? In the pool? In the pool. Excellent. <laughs> so now you definitely have to go in. <laughs> then I have to go in. Then I couldn't reach them because I didn't have any flippers on because it is deep. It's not diving deep, but it, it's water polo deep. So I had to go and get my friend who had slippers to go in. And by then we had all of management, everybody out there looking into what we were doing. I find that extraordinary. Yeah, So terrible. you have to book that particular pool, do you, to go oh, in? Oh, you have so to, the, yeah. So the um, public can just wondering. Well, you know, I had the goal and I won't be going back in there. <laughs> <room. laughs> I won't There's be. always the, the boy charm pool. Just, just <laughs> go and to a also, different pool. And I just think there are so many police people out there. Just mind your own business is what I think. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> National Biography Award. What's going on? So the shortlist was announced this week, six titles, yes. I think. Yes, I w- Um My lovely friend Chloe Hooper was on there I for a bedtime story. I loved that book. I loved it too.
1: I will say, of the six books on the list, only one, strictly speaking, is an old-fashioned biography, biography. where the author, I think Anne-Marie Priest, has written a biography of Gwen Harwood, the poet, who many of us studied at school. Yes, And so that's when a a trained writer and researcher goes out, does interviews with people, goes through the archives, spends time in the libraries, and writes a biography of someone who they either revere or they think is interesting. That's the classic uh, example. The other books are either memoirs of the author or family memoirs where they're telling a story of someone in their family. I think I've got that right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there is, in literary circles at the moment, a bit bit of a debate going on about biography. Has the memoir swallowed the whole category? Is it now the case that people are far more interested in reading about somebody's personal story
0: than they are that third remove. Mm. So the difference, okay, let's, let's thrash this out a little bit. Like from my experience, a biography is beginning to end really, isn't it? It's exactly the story right. of someone's yes. life. And they
1: often do start with the with the subject being born
0: Yes, in a shed or a haystack yes. or a, yeah. whatever the case That's may right. be, and they and go all the way up to the death. It's the life story of yes. the person that we're talking about, and could be an autobiography as well. But memoir usually is a snippet mm-hmm. of something in your life. I remember Ando, Do you remember The Happiest Refugee? Of course. Right? That went to number one. And I do remember him being interviewed and somebody said to him, you know, it's been so successful, are you going to write another one? And he said, I can't write another one because I have to live more years right. to be able to write another memoir. And I thought that was a really good answer. Even, I mean, his is, is from beginning to end, but he's a young guy. So the end is only, you know, it, it only happened recently. And he really understood that another story can't be told until you've lived more life, right? And, and you've
1: touched on something else there that I find interesting too, that y- uh, memoirs are being written by people who are much, much younger yes. than was once the case. Yes. So you could argue, for example, that one of the biggest books of last year was Grace Tame's memoirs. She was the Australian of the Year and a Sexual Assault Survivor. And, her, and she's only in her 20s. That's and right. And she's written already her first memoir. So I, I'm not sure that we would have seen that 100 years ago. No. Well, we certainly wouldn't have seen a sexual no. assault survivor telling their story. As you know, she's opened up a whole new horizon for for women and support, supporting them in that way. But it's interesting to me that you can be quite young and then you might end up writing a few. Like, I think Barry Humphreys wrote yes. three.
0: Yes, that's right. And they were all bestsellers. They, they all did uh, well, really I well. I think
1: one of them was actually written by Dame Edna, which is different. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but I um, I, I look back on my career, because it's an interesting question, and then I just, the other day I just remembered so many, like uh, my life in Provence. Remember there was all those yes. people that, you know, took time out and went and bought a vineyard, or you know, there, so was, there was a lot there of there was them. almost French. Yeah. There was also, she went to live in Paris. She went to live in Paris. There was also Holy Cow, right. which was Sarah India. McDonald in India.
1: Yeah. Yes. So that, that, and they were all huge books. So it does seem that people really want to read about an adventure that you took. Mm. And actually, now that I think about it, Pip Williams, author of um, the Dictionary of Lost Words, her first book was actually about her family travels. Yes. So there you go. there, There does seem to be a lot of appetite. I guess we all wonder, would I be able to do that or would I be able well, to have that adventure? It's, yeah,
0: it's it's like kind of getting a, an aerogram or a letter, you know, from a friend. You're reading about their recent trip or their travels or where they're at. You know, I feel, I, and, and I feel this quite strongly, if they read that too and you listen to it in audio... They're my new best friend. Oh, you do feel that, don't you? Yeah. You know, I was lucky enough. I think
1: I stood in on a, for a panel when you were, yes. a, when you were away yeah. on Words on the Waves. Yes, 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 it was at Words on the Waves and your friend Todd Alexander was there and he's written a book obviously about his experience yes. buying a huge block of land and trying to become a farmer as opposed to a city slicker. And just hosting him on the stage for an hour, I felt like what a wonderful person. You get yes. a real sense of, yes. you know, people's optimistic outlook, their yes. happy-go-lucky approach, their glass half-full yes. as opposed to glass. Yeah, yeah. He's just such a, every story that to me would have been <laughs> traumatising <laughs> yes. beyond belief. Yes. You know, dragging dead cattle and dead yes. kangaroos. He made very funny.
0: Yeah, but I've I, I just thought about this now, Into Thin Air. you know that um, yes. book about climbing Everest, right? Now that, in a way, it wasn't a memoir, was it? Was he on the trip? Anyway, I can't remember. But for me, there was a curiosity about that book. I am never going to do that. No. I don't have an adventurous bone in my body. No. Why, no, no I, 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 some people desperately want to, they to do. climb out I mean, do you Everest? remember the character, one of the women that took the Easter eggs thinking that she's going to be up there? And that floors me to think that, and she ended up dying with her eggs, you know, like that floors me to think that you need a life experience so big that... And also... But not, I'm interested and, in reading it. And not to I'm complain, never going to do it.
1: But It's cold.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> I am never going to knowingly put my life in jeopardy. I'm just too much. And, and your fingers I don't fall off it. and your toes fall off. Absolutely. Like, where's but the fun I, in that? But I loved that book. And yes. then I went on to read other people's journeys. And so that's the story and wasn't here. there one, the guy who cut his own yes. foot? Was it his foot or his um, leg like cut his own arm off? He got caught between a rock and the only way he'd get out was cut his arm. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I just look at those people and I think, I mean, I just absolutely categorically have zero interest in doing it, but I want to read about it. But you want it. to read about it. Yeah, yeah want to yeah. read about it. Let's have a look at okay. the
1: other lists and the other ones on there. So I have read um, How to End a Story, which is um, Helen Garner's diary oh, okay. and this is the diary yes. that takes account of the infidelity mm. in her mm. marriage mm-hmm. and her her sense that she mm. was going utterly crazy mm. because although she was strongly suspected that her husband was mm. having a relationship
0: with another woman. And we woman, can't say who he is, can no, we? No, no.
1: Um, well, she doesn't, interestingly. Yes, she, doesn't she doesn't name it. anyone in the book, but she does want, I think women in particular, her readership would be largely women, I think, although she's such a beautiful writer. Love her. Um I think she's she wants us to understand that experience because so many women have had an experience where their partner has cheated and they've known about it. They've got what I call the spidey sense. They've got a spidey sense that something's wrong, and they keep asking him, "Is this happening?" And you're getting told no, and then you think, Isn't that ga- a
0: word for it
1: now?" There's yeah, a gaslighting. Word. Like gaslighting. you feel like you're going yes. crazy because yes. you think. And then of course you'll say you're so insecure. And then if you yeah. say, "Well, let me see your phone," and you're like, "I'm, I'm entitled to my privacy. Yeah. What are you, some sort of control freak?" But in fact. You're right. You're right, and they're making you sound crazy, mm. and that's what her diary experience is, is about. I I found that fascinating.
0: Do you know what I found fascinating? I know I don't. Get, I, I just love her. Love First Stone. Love Joe Cinque. Love Monkey Grip. I've loved everything she's written. She was in the office a few months ago. It was one. It was just such a magic moment for me. But. I read her diaries when I was nursing my mum, end of life, and it was just mum and I in the room and I read hers and I read Bedtime Story that week as well. But one of the things that I just got very, very angry about was how he treated her and how, remember, like even though she was probably a better... Writer than him, his career was more important than hers, and that she had to go out every day. She had to leave in the morning, come back at night, so he could have the apartment because he couldn't write with anybody else in the apartment. I found
1: that particular chapter, that episode, incredibly stressful and upsetting because that's exactly right. She was made to leave her own house, her own peace and quiet and, and solitude. Helen I know. So that he could sit, the giant artist, yeah. <laughs> and write his book. And so she was wandering around the streets of Sydney where she didn't yeah. really even know anyone, trying to fill the days, trying to fill the time because, she, because his genius couldn't she be couldn't interrupted. She couldn't
0: come back to four, five o'clock. But how
1: many, how many women do you think are in that position where they feel like their own needs, wants, desires, aspirations, um, career goals are secondary to that of their husbands?
0: Yeah. Many. 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 Men. And in a way, I was getting angrier and angrier that week and I was kind of blaming her in my head. And then I for not being stronger? Yes, yeah. for not okay. saying to him, get nicked, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the old question, isn't it? Why
1: didn't she leave? Yeah. And, and women have... Try to explain, particularly I think in the last twenty years, all the complex emotional mm. dramas that mm. go on, mm. the ways in which you can be sort of trapped. I think they, um, I think they call it a trauma bond now mm. in psychology, where you're so, you're trained by your partner to meet his every need mm. and to be. Uh, to, to look up to him and revere him and mm. and when you disappoint him and he withdraws his affection, then you've got to sort of race to catch up and get more affection from him, the breadcrumbing that goes on. They, so her diaries are contemporaneous, so they were mm. written at the time she was experiencing these things and yet they're so resonant today. Mm. There is, she could have written it yesterday. Absolutely. So many women understand that experience. I think that is a really beautiful book and I, was love, I loved seeing it on the National Biography Prize shortlist mm. because I think – I'm glad that people are not saying, oh, well, you know, a woman's marriage breakdown, that's, you know, that's not serious literature. This is very serious. It's very serious.
0: Absolutely. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual
0: results may vary. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? This is a slight segue. Um, I had Anna Funder in the other day. Who Did was you? very, yes. very happily married. Yes. And her new book's called Wifedom. And I asked her how, where the idea came from and where the thought came from. And she said she was in a Broadway shopping centre just down the road from here. And there she was with a trolley full of, you know, food, shopping, whatever. And she thought, why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, Why? Why is it does it fall on me in the household to do this? And it's such a good question, isn't it? Those gender and, gender roles are,
1: are pretty baked into the culture, aren't they? They're baked mm-hmm. although I would say that the experience of most younger women and their husbands is probably vastly different than it was, for example, my mother's era. Mm. So I do I, I do often see men, you know, pushing a pram along, going mm. to the park with their baby. They only use one hand. Yeah, men they usually do. They don't do. do two
0: because they're halfway removed, right? Whereas when oh, you yeah, see women, yeah, yeah, they when they you two. see two, and when you see men, it's usually one. Isn't that Just interesting? No, that I'm not all the way in there. Oh, do you think that's what it is? I, but you also see, I mean, you see men at the shopping centre mm, with their course. shopping carts
1: and you see uh, men at the playground yeah. pushing the kids on. That would have been unthinkable. Uh, 45 mm. years ago. I, mm. I can't recall seeing mm. men walking around with prams when I was growing up.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what Anna's talking about, you know, Mrs Orwell. you yes. know. I mean, yes. equally as talented as George, but had, had to create the space for him to write and have his creativity. Yes.
1: And I think that's the power and the strength of that particular book of, yeah. of wifedom, because Anna's not afraid to bring her own experience yeah. and the experience of other Australian women into a story about George Orwell, which is really amazing when you yeah. think about it. But she has she's created links between the past and the present, um, between experiences that was
0: were ha- had by George Orwell's wife, and compared them with her own. I thought it was extraordinary when she said to me, "Oh, the idea came to me when I was at the Broadway Shopping Centre, and then I just went and read all of the George Orwell's and other." Uh, I don't understand the connection between shopping <laughs> yeah, yeah, and George yeah, yeah. Orwell. But that's her brain. Yeah. She's out there. She's, She's so incredibly smart, smart. Isn't she? She's incredibly smart. And a beautiful her. writer. I love her. Yeah, and love her. Yeah. But I think she was looking for writing inspiration. And in that process, that's how she came across Mrs Orwell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. uh, really extraordinary. Hey, um, can I talk about another extraordinary person that yes, I um, met with this week? I'm hoping I pronounce her name properly. Ayesha Anun. Have you? I haven't. Heard of it? Se- I haven't seen it. No. Oh, this book is called Untethered. It is so lovely. She immigrated from Sri Lanka, very affluent. You know, had a very lived a very good and privileged life, and came out here with with her partner. Um, and uh, talking about the struggles of immigration, um, even though she spoke English, you know, and she. It talks about how she went from being something, you know, having a job, having a life, having education, to really being seen as somebody that's a migrant, has, you know, no value. And she decided that she wasn't going to wallow in that, that she yeah. was going to become something. And she wanted to be a writer. And that girl tenaciously just kept writing, sending in short stories, writing, sending in short stories until she got published.
1: And she's got a book and it's called, what have you got? Have you got a copy there? What's yeah. that called? Untethered. 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 I haven't had an opportunity to read it. Oh, do it's you know worth it. I, heard an I love her. Somebody said something interesting to me the other day, which I hadn't thought about. They said, do you know that white people are never migrants? I said, what do you mean? I oh, said always. Oh, if you go overseas, if I move overseas, I'm an mm. expat. Mm. But a That's person right. but a person who's from a different culture is a migrant. Yeah. And the difference between being an expat, where you're kind of welcome and you're yeah. adding something to the community and you're probably working in a high profile or yeah. high paid job, and a migrant, which has different connotations altogether. Absolutely. And I thought, isn't that outrageous? But oh, it's I've quite, been like, like when I moved forever. to America. Yeah. I didn't consider myself an immigrant. Because you're white and you speak isn't English. Isn't that,
0: but like, but it, it's, it's, it's heavy in the
1: language. It's well,
0: it's like, you know, I grew up with people, um, my friend Bernard, you know, whose father was Irish, like as generationally as my, my parents. He was never, ever classified as an Irish person living in Australia. But I was, I've always been Lebanese. Oh, isn't that always, interesting? Always, even though our parents were similar. But, and and even my nephews and great nephews still get the label of Lebanese. Now, we love it, we're not complaining, but it's that interesting though isn't it doesn't go away. It does not go away. We will always have that label. Yet with Austra- white Australian people it seems to dilute very quickly and yes. you become Australian.
1: Yes. And well, somebody I think said we to would be so your parents and yeah. my par- and my mother would have come out to Australia at around the same time. Because my mother came out I think in fifty six. From where? From Germany. There you go. And, and, when, you and go. was it 56 for you as well? Yeah, they but, came so, out in the late 50s. And yet you, yes, you're quite right. I have never thought of myself as anything other than Australian. Yeah. But you think of yourself as a Lebanese Australian because that's the label
0: that's been put on you. Absolutely. And do you know, people often say to me, well, you could just say you're Australian. No, no, no. I've never been given permission to Interesting. say I'm an Australian. Even people I've grown up with, my girlfriends, they will still always say me, oh, and the Lebanese ones just arrived. Isn't
1: that interesting? Yeah, yeah. And I I know as well that um, the way that we treat uh, migrants from certain countries, in particular India, mm-hmm. although Sri Lanka's probably yeah, the same. Yeah, I mean, it, that's North another
0: Asia. kettle of fish. Like if you're if coming from Asia or the, if you're a different with, skin yes, colour.
1: yeah, we're charging them... So I think 400,000 students coming through at, at one point before COVID. And we were charging them like $1,000 a week to live in a shared dorm with 10 other people. Wow. Um, providing them with no English, lang- English language classes at all. Charging them an absolute fortune to go to university and providing a very weak pathway to citizenship. So even if you came out from India the best kind of migrants. They really are. They're family oriented. They work hard. They're interested in, you know, getting a house and a home for themselves, improving their life. But we make it so difficult for them. And Mm. I'm not quite sure why. Mm. But I know that we've discussed this, you and I many times, and you are convinced
0: that it has something to do with race. Oh, definitely. It It has so much to do with race. But also, too, our willingness to not You know, we want them to assimilate straight away, but we're not going to give them the tools to do that. We want them to give up their culture straight away. And the first thing, and, you know, Aisha talked about this, is the homesickness. Oh, it's awful. Knowing that, you know, I mean, a lot of them don't have the resources to get back home. That's right. You know, and we... uh, I, Oh, God. I Now I've got goosebumps. But I was... We were talking about um, immigration. I was talking about that to an American friend of mine, Chris. And we were talking about... uh, the different types of immigration in the US. And there are the Mexicans who come across the border and all they're doing, they don't really want to be there. They just need to earn money they to send it They need the money, home, of course, yes. Right? And then you've got the other immigrants who have decided that America's going to be their home And they have to cut off the connection so that they can get by, so that they can start living, so that they can start assimilating. And they cut off that, I mean, which I think must be so extraordinarily hard. Yes. And then you've got my parents who didn't have the resources to come and go. To come and go. To come and go. It's it's really... It was so
1: interesting because earlier this year around Anzac Day, I published an essay by a woman who'd written a book about her parents coming out from Hungary. Yeah. And after her mother died, so her mother was always fiercely, patriotically Australian. Yeah. They were Hungarians, but they had escaped after the um, after the Russian tanks rolled in, crossing a border in the middle of the night, bribing guards, getting through the barbed wire. So they felt an enormous sense of gratitude to yeah. Australia for the, for the peaceful life they were able to live. But when her mother died, she went through her things and she found um, a diary note that said how homesick she had been for such a long time. And she said, I, I can't complain this. This is my choice. Mm. And it's a choice I would make again, Mm. but I still miss it so much. Mm. And I thought, isn't, yes, that's so true. You can Mm. leave a country knowing you can never live there again, Mm.
0: but it's in your blood and bone. Mm. Mm. I mean, my mother's still got, you know, um, six brothers and sisters in Lebanon. And uh, how many times did she get to see them? It's, it's, Terribly hard, and our attitudes toward them. I think sometimes, you know, we're kinder to whales than we are to humans, yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's get on to something <laughs> a bit more uplifting. We don't want to end on that note, do we? Okay, what have you been reading? Well, actually, I'm reading the most extraordinary book, which is not out uh, just
1: yet. The author's name is Martin Flanagan, Mm -hmm. and he is the elder brother of Richard Flanagan. He's a journalist. He's a journalist, and I actually know Martin because we were sports reporters together when I I was when I was a baby journalist. I did some training in the sports department, and he was such a, a magnificent mentor. He went to a boarding school in Hobart, and I I won't get the numbers completely straight, but I think he said that of the 10 priests that were serving at the time he started, three would go to prison for sexual molestation of the boys there. And he was not molested. He was not abused. And so the reason that the book is so interesting is because he's trying to unpack why he has such positive memories of being a boarder at this school, a boarding school in Hobart, with the with the reality of what happened to his friends. Yes. And, yes. and, and he was called upon at some point to testify.
0: Yes. How challenging.
1: Yes, because, and he talks about some of the things that the priests would do to the boys and then ways to get them into the priests' quarters, for example. And he remembered a time when he too was lured into the priest's quarters, the abuser's quarters, but it didn't happen to him. Mm. And one reason I think was he seemed to have his mum was watching because on one particular time he was in trouble for something and she drove at for an hour and fifty minutes. You know, this is the fifties mm. in Hobart, breakneck speed, to have it out with the school. How dare you, my Martin? Mm. And and he wondered whether that had triggered in them, in the abusers, okay, so someone's watching this one. This one's mm. not vulnerable. This mm. one's got
0: back. Because they do pick their targets. Apparently they?
1: they do. I think yeah. that's I think that's I haven't finished the book yet, but I think that's the argument that he's coming to, that they they need to, to find an opening. Mm. And he was sufficiently capable and strong that he was able to dodge mm. what they intended to do. Mm. But what a challenging idea that you've gone to boarding school, you've had a wonderful time, you have some tremendous memories, and yet your friends have been destroyed
0: mm. by the experience. That would be really heart-wrenching. And, it's and a lovely book. It's, it's yeah, called
1: yeah. Um, The Empty Honour Board. And oh, I wow. think it's Penguin Random House, and it's not out until,
0: I think, August. So the brothers of... Have- both got a book out this year then.
1: Oh yes, because yeah, Richard's, Richard's got, one got one towards the end yeah, of the year. Yeah, that's yes. right. And
0: I think that's non-fiction.
1: Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. I think we're looking at November for that, aren't we? Yeah,
0: so. I think so. And Christos Solkis has got one out
1: this year as oh well. And gosh. Anna Funder. we've got, Adam, got one out. I All the big guns are f- <laughs> what blazing. Are <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're out of time, my friend. Oh, well, well just to mention that Ascar is also skimmed, oh, because that's to amazing. That. Oh, gosh, amazing. he came in the office the
0: other day. Did he? Oh, yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous. So it's a memoir as we were talking about memoirs, of a stroke, heart attack and, um, and the remaking. I mean, he endured all of these as a young person. You know, when I first, because I'd met him once before with a soldier, he'd co-written because, you know, he, he ghostwrites and co-writes. Oh, I didn't know that. No. Yeah, he did. And I'd met him and I can't remember what the soldier's name was. This is a few years back and I recorded a podcast with him. You know, that soldier came back to me a couple of days later and asked me if I would interview soldiers because they don't have a vehicle to tell their story. I hope you said yes. No, I said no. Oh, you couldn't
1: do it? No. I
0: couldn't do it because one, I was launching this pod- podcast, but two, I can't live in that space no. all the time. No.
1: Yeah. Agony. They are. Well, this book, A Scar Is Also Skin, it crossed my desk earlier this week as well. Yeah. I noticed, of course, that he lives in Bondi and that he's a journalist. So I felt like I had a little bit in common with him. But I was astonished by that story. So he goes to Iraq and Afghanistan Mm. at the invitation of the government to, Mm. to, um, and well the, it's the healing that goes on while Cause he's Because he's there. had a heart attack he's and he's had, had a, heart a stroke. stroke. Yeah, and he's yeah. young. Yeah. He has the
0: stroke first, I think, and then the heart attack later. Yeah, he's And he starts 20s. questioning
1: yeah. everything about his life. Mm. Yeah. I think yeah. it's a really lovely book that It one. is
0: a really beautiful book, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. We're out of time. I'm so happy you're back in the pool. I'm so happy you're back in the
1: pool. I look forward to seeing speaking to you again, darling.
0: Bye. Bye.